Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Yes ABS. My name is Anthony, and I am joined by my very good friend Paul Jones. Hello. You might better know Paul as Haggard Hawks. You definitely better know me as Haggard Hawks because nobody knows who I am. Exactly. Not every, not even his own mother would recognise. No, him. she she only knows the hawk now. <laughs> Walks past me in the street, <laughs> but that's how he like Paul likes to be known as is the Hawk, <laughs> the, the Hawk so, Man. Well, I've been on Twitter a few years, so just call me the Hawk. <laughs> so the Hawk, mm-hmm. how did we come up with this idea for this podcast? Well, a lot of people ask on Twitter whether the words that pop up on Haggard Hawks are true or not. Hmm. Um, a lot of people, after five years, still think that I'm lying to them. <laughs> so we came up with the idea of deliberately lying to each other in a podcast. Just for full disclosure, everything on Haggard Hawks is completely true. All, all those words are true, yeah. But the idea for the game is... Basically, we each have three facts. Yep. Uh, they could all be true. Uh, some of them might be made up. And mm. if the other person correctly guesses whether the fact's true or not, they get a point. And if the person whose fact it is convinces the other person otherwise, then they get a point. Nice and simple. Yeah. Basically, who's the better liar? You'll pick it up as we go along. Yeah. Okay, Paul, are you ready? The okay, very, I'm, the, I'm... The very first inaugural fact for Yes or BS. I'm braced. Okay. So I'd like to take you back in time here, Paul. Okay. To the age of Oliver Cromwell. Okay. And his fundamentalist rule. One of my strengths. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, if I if I open on something you'll know nothing about, yeah. then I will go for it. I'm already on the back foot, okay. Now, you, you might know a little bit about Oliver Cromwell. Uh, I know his name. Fantastic. That is a cracking style, Paul. You're already halfway there on this fact then. Um, but did you know that Oliver Cromwell's brother-in-law tried to create the first English space programme? Right. Okay, this is interesting. <laughs> so, just to clarify, Oliver Cromwell, we're talking about um, 1600s? We are indeed. And just some facts for you here. His brother, uh, John Wilkins, born 1614, died 1672. So that's the okay. That's the kind of time period we're looking at for the space programme. John Wilkins. Yes. And that was his brother-in-law. Yes. Right, okay. Space programme. Yes. Now... I think I've already won this one, Paul. <laughs> I, I don't know an awful lot about the 17th century, but I do know that we weren't in space. Yeah, well, that doesn't stop people from having space programmes, though, does it? Are, are we talking like a sort of water-powered rocket? Um, no, it's gunpowder-powered rockets. It's a chariot, which basically the plan was John Wilkins, he was a scientist as well as a theologian. Okay. And like many people at the time in the 1600s, they thought the the moon and other planets were inhabited with with people, obviously, right. or angels, if you will. Angels. Yes. Okay, now the, uh, already I'm starting to think that you're, <laughs> that you're making this up. People in the 17th century thought thought other planets were inhabited by angels. Yes. Charlie's angels? <laughs> People, whoever, if I've not written down exactly who they thought lived okay. on these planets, but they were more heavenly than people on Earth. So right, basically, well, they would be. So basically, the plan was, they thought, uh, space is about 20 miles away. If they thought if they could get up to that 20-mile height, then they would float, and they would be able to direct it, and kind of float to destinations from there, and float to the other planets. If only it were that easy. <laughs> exactly, well, exactly, which they is why... They thought space was 20 miles away. Yes, Okay. So, which actually the moon's about a quarter of a million miles away. Yeah, so. I was going to say it's a little further than that. 
But and they don't know. It's the 16th, it's the 17th century, Paul. Give them, give them a break, for God's sakes. But they have, they've got a space program. <laughs> You're telling me to give them a break for not knowing how far away the planets are and also trying to convince me that they had a space program. They did. And I should tell you more about this space program. Okay. So... So a gunpowder, a gunpowder. Uh, it's, no, it's not entirely gunpowder powered. It's um, it also had sails on there. Of course, because they needed the gunpowder to get, to get the height first, and then once they'd made that twenty mile limit, then that's when the sails would kick in, and there were there was already ideas that there might be a vacuum in space at that time. But uh, right. this John Wilkins fella said, the air's purer up there because that's the air angels breathe. And wow. Okay. It'll be it'll be fine once you get up there, and then they can just go to the moon, visit the planets. Because they said, why would God make these things and not have people on there? Right. Yeah. Breathing wouldn't be a problem, as the astronauts would soon grow accustomed to the purer air breathed by angels. He wrote that. He did. Now I find this interesting because I didn't think I know for a fact that the word astronaut is older than people think it is. Ooh. But now I'm starting to doubt whether it was 17th century or not, or whether you've just made that quote up. Well, if it's... you've made this up, you've gone to town on this story. <laughs> like, you've designed a gunpowder-powered <laughs> chariot. With a sail. With sails. Mm. You've presumably come up with mm. some kind of idea that space was only 20 miles away and then you could float. Mm. Okay. There's actually an even better fact, because they said, well, this is how are you going to get food up there? And this is a good fight. The moon is made of cheese. <laughs> no, it's, it's better than that one. They said, well, you don't need to worry about food because the only reason you need to eat is because magnetism pulls the food out of you. So when you're in space, you're fine because there's no magnetism to pull the food out of you. Right. Okay. This was before Isaac Newton's uh, theory of gravity in the 1680s. So they, you can see I'm getting excited over this fact. Because <laughs> <laughs> they thought there was magnets everywhere or magnetism would pull pull the food out of you. Right. Okay. Mm. You. This is so detailed that I, I thought at first that you'd made it up, mm. but it, this is so detailed that I think it, I'm starting to come down on the side of yes rather than the yes for this. Well, do you have any other questions about the space program? So let me just go back over this. It, yeah. This is <clears throat> Oliver Cromwell's brother-in-law. Yes. Who was called John Wilkins. Yes. He, in the 1600s, yes. mid-1600s, yep had an idea for a space program yep. using a gunpowder-powered chariot <laughs> with did. sails on it Yes. to achieve a height of 20 miles yep. above the surface, Yep. at which point they could float to other planets and visit angels. Yes. And they wouldn't need food because it's only the magnetism of the Earth that pulls the food out of you. Exactly. When you put it like that, the logical... <laughs> logical steps of the space program. Logical steps, or this some... is some sort of acid-powered dream <laughs> you've had in research for this podcast. No, no, somebody called NASA. We've got a new, we've got a new <laughs> shuttle program ready to go. Okay, now the, the I came up with this game, and the annoying thing about it is that that could be so true. Mm. So, are you ready to commit to an answer on this poll? You know what? I, every fibre of my being is telling me that that is total BS, but mm. it's so detailed. Mm. I'm going to say, yes, it's true. Ah, it is. It is yeah, true. Yeah, you got me. Yes. <laughs> the inaugural point. I knew I shouldn't have gone, I shouldn't have had all that detail. That was detailed. It was. Did Was that true about the quote with the astronaut in it? It's not quite. Cool. It's kind of like a, when, when I was researching it, 
it was kind of paraphrased where he right. says breathing wouldn't be a problem. So it's not a direct quote right. okay. from yeah. John Wilkins' film. I know, right. yeah, because astronaut is an old word, older mm. word than people think it is, but I thought it was like 19th century. Mm. So if he'd used that, then I could have seen through your lies. <laughs> but no, that's completely true. It is. It, obviously, um, Oliver Cromwell's brother-in-law is a damn sight more interesting than he ever was. <laughs> wow. Oh, stop. Bad oh. mitzvah. <laughs> oh, what a burn. Throwing shade at Cromwell here on the first podcast. <laughs> is it too soon to make jokes about Cromwell? <laughs> Did they, didn't they dig up Cromwell and put him on trial? Like, dig up his corpse? This is a bonus fact. I don't know. That sounds very plausible. I, I know they did I? that with the Pope. Uh, that's what I might be thinking of. I think they might have done it with Cromwell as well. I'm not sure. Do you want to do it to Cromwell? <laughs> well, he did ban mince pies and dancing, so and he, can go, he can go do one, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, okay. It's 1 0 to me. Are you ready to guess now? Whether I am. Whether I'm, I'm gonna, lying to you or not? I'm going to pull this back now, Jones. Yeah, I've, I've, I feel confident now. I've, I've got the first point on the board. And I feel somewhat humiliated. I think I'm going to win the first episode. Nah, not a chance. Okay. Um, I'm going to test your knowledge of history here. Because mm-hmm. I know you're a bit of a history board. Um, I was doing an article a while ago about the origin of uh, nursery rhymes. Mm-hmm. And something that people uh, know, or that they think they know, about uh, Ring a Ring of Roses. The plague. Is that it's about the plague. It mm. purports to be about the plague. Well, I've already got the fact, right? Move on, right, next. <laughs> <laughs> um, and d- different people say whether this is true or not. Mm-hmm. Um but the point is that the posies are supposed to be the nosegay that people wore to sort of prevent the horrible smells going in there. I think you've just made that word up, to be honest. What's the nosegay? Oh, a nosegay. Yeah. It's the, um, like a bundle of herbs that, that people would keep against their face. Oh, that, that I didn't know, know it was called a nosegay, though. Yeah. See, bonus facts, there you I'm go. I'm going to put that on Haggard Hawks now. <laughs> I thought people knew that word. No, we did, no, yes. Oh, everyone talks about nosegays, Paul. You oh, call look at yourself, that nosegay. You call yourself a history expert. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that's what the pause was. There's the a tissue, a tissue line. They all fall down. Just do it sneezing and things. It's got <clears> a second verse, you know. Oh. I'm going to read you the second verse, which is all part of my fact. Oh, here we go. Cows in the meadows eating buttercups. <laughs> <laughs> a tissue, a tissue. <laughs> we all jump up. <laughs> but yes, move on. This isn't true. This is all part of my fact. Um, um, this is the preamble. Right, I've got questions on this. Go on. Okay, so it has a second verse. But on the subject of the plague, mm. uh, did you know that there's a piece of music mm-hmm. that people believed was able to cure the plague? Okay. Because you know that they had lots of different cures that they thought could get rid of it. There was mm-hmm. raw onions, apparently, was one. Sitting in the sewers, apparently cured it. Um, <laughs> smelling herbs. Eating rotten treacle. Mm. was supposedly a, a, a cure for the plague. And along with that, you can add what's a piece of music called the Marlborough Reel. And this okay. is named after the first Duke of... Can you of... sing it? I don't know the tune, oh, alas. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's named after the first Duke of Marlborough, whose name uh, was John Smith. <clears throat> Very originally, he mm-hmm. was called John Smith. Uh, this is sort of late, 15th, uh, late 1500s. Mm-hmm. And he contracted the plague and was on his deathbed. So he called for his musicians to mm-hmm. be brought to him, kind of like old King Cole. And mm-hmm. uh, the violinist or the fiddle player, whoever it was, came along and started playing him some of his favourite tunes. Uh, one... <laughs> Just... <laughs> some of his 
favourite one, like a bit of Ariana Grande or something. Uh, uh, the oh, get me, a... get me tunes on. I'm hearing... dying. Get that band in. I hearing was uh... a fan of Taylor Swift. Uh, one of them was the Marlboro Reel. This piece of well, mm. it wasn't it wasn't called that at the time. It was just a, a folk. I was going to say that's, that's, that's clearly old Marlboro Reel. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a folk tune that was very popular. Mm. Uh, they played that, and he ended up surviving. He, he got up of his deathbed at some point in the near future, <laughs> cured miraculously of the plague. Uh, and so this piece of music uh, was sort of added to the long list of things that people presumed would cure you of the plague. And it became okay. very popular. Um, and yeah, so it's called the Marlboro Reel in his honour. So, okay, why that particular piece? If his little band played a lot of different songs, why did they choose that one? Say, oh, that one, that's cured him. It was, a, it was one of his favourites. And it mm. was also the one that he requested so what about the other songs that were played? Did he not request those? Did I, they just were they just? I'm paraphrasing uh, here, but I presume they played more than one piece of music around his deathbed. Oh, if he wanted see, to, see, I'm, I'm already seeing the holes in this thing. Yeah. If you're on your deathbed and you call for your musicians, they're not going to play one song and then walk out. So who was again? John Smith. His name was John Smith. He was the first Duke of Marlborough. Mm. I could say, why did he become the Duke? What? I, I don't what know. Historic... That, I don't know. I'm guessing that he had some sort of title from somewhere, but I, I don't know why he became the Duke. Okay, so where, where's where's his, like, uh, Ducal hash, Palace Mansion thing? Where's um, that based? Marlborough. <laughs> He's the Duke of Marlborough. <laughs> You've gone into the, the facts here. of just a mm-hmm. piece of music, but you don't know where he is, where he's based. Well, it's wherever the Duchy of Marlborough is. It'll be down south somewhere, presumably. Can I know it? that there's a, um, a, I think there's a hand in bridge called the Marlborough, and that's named after a later Duke of Marlborough. So, the, so there is some precedence here. You see, you've got me thinking. You, you kind of, you came in with a list of prefacts, mm-hmm. which is making me think you're trying to throw me off. Like, oh, look at these facts about the plague. You've got a swimming treacle, or you've got a rotten in, treacle, not the... just normal treacle. <laughs> People were eating rotten. You've got to live in the sewers. Yeah. So I'm thinking like that first collection of facts was true. Right. And I think. mm, Was there a piece of music called the Marlboro Reel that people thought could cure them of the plague? I don't think so. I think because I don't know why. It seems weird. I would believe you if he was like the third Duke of Marlborough or something. It was the first Duke of Marlborough. Because he's the first. I don't believe it. I'm going to say. I'm ready for an answer on this one. Okay. Taking it down early. That's BS, Paul. It's BS. <laughs> yes. I, I tore myself up in it. You did. You just you got yourself tangled in dates. In a cloud of lies. There was dates, lies, all sorts going on in there. I should point out that the second verse of Ring and Ring of Roses is completely true. I was going to ask more about that, but then I thought that one was true. Yeah, that was true. Turns... And so were all those other cures. I think there just wasn't enough wasn't enough detail around about the Duke of Marlborough. Yeah, I think no, he... I did make that up. I do know that the first Duke of Marlborough was actually about three hundred years later than that. I did, <laughs> I did look that up. I had a feeling. I thought it was like, isn't that Blenheim Palace or something? I don't know. Ah well. I don't even think there's a piece of music called the Marlborough Marlborough Reel. It's <laughs> made the whole thing up. And I think it was because it, they, they, oh they played all sorts of music from Ebony's band in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This next one, we're going to move into the field of animal psychology. Oh, okay. <laughs> a subject I know an awful lot about. Well, you know, my seven PhDs I have in animal <laughs> yes, psychology. A, a subject you know an awful lot about. <laughs> and it's about pig psychology, particularly. Right. Actually, I'll get the main crux of this fact is... Okay. Um, 
there were some tests done where pigs are now able to drive cars. <laughs> False. Now, move on. <laughs> You've made this up. You probably uh, had like a sort of fever dream and <laughs> got this out of that. Pigs can't not, drive cars. It's Next. Not, it's not like a proper car with like a gear you stick think? and pedals. Right, okay. Actually, I'll give you the background first. Yes. <clears> Tell me about is, your pigs that drive cars. It originally came out about from... Um, research done on pigs playing video games. <laughs> that's now that's no way to talk about the gaming community, <laughs> which I'm a proud member. I know you are. <laughs> right? Okay. A pigs can't drive cars. B they definitely can't play video games. You don't even know where this is going. Paul. Right? Okay. So <clears throat> there was some research done about ten years ago to kind mm-hmm. of test the psychology and cognitive abilities of pigs, and mm-hmm. it turns out they're quite intelligent. They were able to play kind of rudimentary video games. It's basically... Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> That's not a video game. I don't know about video games. <laughs> Doom 2? You know nothing about pop culture at no. all, Paul. But they, well, they're not playing like... Rudimentary, so Tetris? Ru- even more rudimentary than that. It's basically pong. moving... <laughs> <laughs> Pigs do Pong. <laughs> it's very similar to Pong, actually, but all it's right. more... Ping? It's more... <laughs> I'm never going to get this fact out. <laughs> we'll edit all this out. It was bit... <laughs> <laughs> right, so I can't pigs. Be edit all that out. <laughs> it's staying in. Right. So, pigs, they play video games. Okay. It evolved basically moving, using a joystick to move a small dot on a screen into a certain section of another screen. Right. And they would get a reward for doing that. Okay. And this was where um, there's this professor at Anglia Ruskin University called Anya Yesen. Mm-hmm. See, she thought, we'll take that a step further. Like, how intelligent are pigs? They've mm-hmm. got rudimentary video games, but mm-hmm. can they drive this car? But mm-hmm. it's not a proper car, as I've said before, Paul. Okay. It was, it's more designed like a, a tank that has <laughs> levers. Because lever, the levers represent the kind of joystick okay. that the pigs are used to. The video game playing pigs. The video game playing yeah, pigs. Okay. So they... So is it sort of like forward, back, left, and right sort of thing? Yes. So right, they okay. just move forward, stops. Another lever turns it. Another Are they lever. in the car? They're in the car. Well, like I, I say, a car is a really grand title for this. It's more of a like a motorized cart where okay. there's four levers, kind of forward, back, okay. turn left, turn right. Okay. And they found out that using the similar video game screen on the front, that mm-hmm. the pigs were able to follow like a, a route. And they were getting given because they knew a treat was coming mm-hmm. when they hit certain points of this route. Okay. So the pigs just push the lever, the car move forward. Okay. It stops, they get a treat. They push the lever to turn right. It stops, they get a treat. They move forward again. How do they know where the treats are? <clears throat> because they've been conditioned to know that when these little balls hit certain points on the screen, when they move it. I see. Like, right, okay. It's like Pavlov's dog thing. Like yeah. the bell goes off. Oh, pig knows I've done it. I'm going right. to get a treat now. So the the... Play the video game where they're moving the ball around the around screen. Around the screen, we've moved it to the right place. It's and basically the same game, except they're now in a cart. Exactly. Right, okay. So, But they, it was to see, would this throw the pigs off at all? If right. If they were in motion. Right. And that was only half of the study, because the other half, it was to kind of... Turn in the road. <laughs> Some parallel parking. <laughs> Actually, see, the drivers I see every day, I wouldn't be surprised if pigs were driving them. <laughs> so basically, the other half of that test was to see how the brains reacted, or how the pigs reacted to anticipating rewards. Okay. Um, took them to the Oscars. 
You're just laying into this. So anyway, there you go, Paul. There's the pigs driving cars. Anticipating rewards. What was that? So, so well, it's, yeah, they're trying to they've test... They've got, they've the... got moods as well. Right. Because like, um, apparently the, this professor found out that pigs have can, can express like similar emotions to humans. So some of the pigs who weren't allowed to drive the cars, mm-hmm. they did a second part of that test where they would isolate them. Mm-hmm. So they would associate... Ooh, that pig's driving the car. They would associate that with being isolated... And because they pig, weren't in the car themselves. They weren't getting in the car and they would become depressed. Right, Well, okay. not depressed, but there was a noticeable change, in, in... which is hence the animal psychology part of it. It's a, okay. rich, a rich tapestry this I'm is, weaving. This is quite the uh, study here. Mm. Okay, right. So a quick recap. <clears throat> um, someone came up with an experiment that pigs use a joystick to move a ball around a screen. Mm-hmm. If they did so successfully and got it to the right part of the screen, they were rewarded with a treat. Yes, some slop <laughs> some description I, I believe we can it presume. was actually I have the treat it was straw and chocolate raisins my favourite treat <laughs> uh, okay um, and basically they took the same screen attached it to some sort of motorised truck yes like a little cart a cart um, and is does the pig have the cognition to realise that it's moving something and not get and moving off? itself at the same time yes right okay um, and attached to that was a separate study uh, to see that the pigs were anticipating the rewards. Yes. So when pigs who had the cars, they would see the cart come up and they'd all get excited. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, buzzing. Mm-hmm. Get driving a little car today. Yeah. But the solitary pigs would just go, oh, I'm sick of this. I'm right. Get okay. Get in that little pen by myself again. Today. Okay. Right. This is very detailed. It does sound like the kind of research that, that people would do in the sort of animal psychology world. Mm. And pigs are very intelligent. Mm. I, I can still remember, I used to have a, one of them reference books where it sort of lists things. And there was a list of intelligent animals. And I think pigs are like the 10th most intelligent animal in the world or something. After were, of... you, were you number 11 on that? <laughs> <laughs> Just ahead of <laughs> Afghan hounds. Um, no, they're, they're sort of up there with like dolphins and mm. orangutans and things. So... Yeah, they are very smart. Mm. This does sound and like... And delicious. Well, I'm vegetarian. I'd, I'd mm. rather eat the straw and the, chocolate, <laughs> and the chocolates. What was it? Chocolates? Straw and chocolate raisins. Chocolate ra- Why chocolate raisins? They'd love them, apparently. Just, uh... Wow. Well, they'd be quids in on Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they like them purple quality streets as well. <laughs> um, right. This does sound plausible. As mm. much as I sort of ripped into it at the start, this does sound like a study that could happen. But I also know how your brain works, and I think you drop it in little details, like the name of the professor who ran this mm. and the name of the university would just be there to sort of... If you'd made this up, you would add those in <clears> just <throat> to make it sound super plausible. Mm. Okay. I'm, I'm going to... I feel like I should interrogate you more on this, but you've gone into so much detail mm. that I don't think there's anything left to... Okay, I'm just going to take a punt. I think it's true. True? I'm going to say yes, it's true. It's a lie. But that professor does work at Anglia Ruskin University. (laughs) That's the only true fact. Is she even an animal psychologist? Yeah, I think she is. That's basically where I picked it up. Like, what does she do? Uh, There we go. I can build a fact around this. Wow. How did you find her? Um, I think I was just... She's just on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if she's listening to this. (laughs) 
She's like, what was that? <laughs> I never did that study. <laughs> yeah. Oh, didn't you? Didn't you, Anya? Oh, my. Oh, well, hello, Anya. I would actually, uh, yes. we never know. She might have actually done this study. I've just... And just not told anyone about exactly. it. Exactly. So I, we could have had... Like, you know, study, the thing is, in retrospect now, I'm <laughs> thinking pigs driving cars. <laughs> of course it's not true. Of course it's not true. The video game thing... I did see that years ago on like Horizon. Or yeah, I've seen them playing like, like uh, football and stuff. Yeah, before. it was just like, but driving cars, Paul. Come on. Well, it wasn't really a car. It's not like they're in the back of a Suzuki <laughs> Swift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I even I even had the the pigs' names. Oh, what 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 uh, were you going to call them? Ollie and Misty. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's the old part of the tapestry, Paul. The true, yeah. Uh, who who did better out the two of them? Was it Ollie? <laughs> I had, I he did. could get the reverse beer park. Misty always struggled. I hadn't developed the lie to that extent. Uh, what about the emergency stop? <laughs> <laughs> we should just end it there yeah. on that. Yeah. So the emergency slop. Uh, oh. Uh, oh. Okay, right, okay. I'm sticking with animals for this one. Okay. Um, so from, is it driving a car? No, it isn't. It's a, a pig driving a plane. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, th- right, the fact is um, that well-to-do families in ancient Rome mm-hmm. uh, used to keep pelicans as pets. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they used to feed them gold. <laughs> Oh, already, I think this is a lie. <laughs> okay, I've right. I've got so many interrogation questions. I, well, I know but that continue. you know your history. Continue. So I hope you don't interrogate too much. Because mm. I, I have the, all the notes that I could drum up on this. Mm. So, um, like all kinds of nonsense that comes from ancient Rome, this is the work of Pliny <laughs> the Elder. It was... Uh, <laughs> literally picked the only Roman you know. Well, um, first century AD scientist and scholar mm. and sort of naturalist and all the rest of it. Do you know where he died? Um, no. He died during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Yeah. In Pompeii? Yeah. Mm. Well, somewhere near Pompeii. Something like that. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, the first century thing, and he wrote <clears throat> The Natural History, dozens and dozens of volumes of work about plants and animals and things. And um, he wrote about pelicans having observed them in the Adriatic Sea. Mm-hmm. It's about the only place in Europe um, or sort of in mainland Europe anyway that you get uh, pelicans and it, like a lot of what he decided it was kind of he looked at something and thought well that must be the case <laughs> and he saw that pelicans had these big pouchy mouths mm-hmm. and they would swoop down into the water and fill the bill with uh, water and fish and then siphon the stuff that it didn't need out and then only eat the good stuff mm-hmm. i.e. the fish <laughs> Thanks, Paul, yeah, for that biology That's how a pelican, pelican works. <laughs> uh, so he noticed this and he thought, well, he sort of attributed to the pelicans <clears> this <throat> idea that they somehow had this ability to sort of like, like separate the wheat from the chaff. If mm. you gave them something, they could take something in their bodies would take 
all of the good stuff out of it and get rid of the waste. They had Such somehow... scientific knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't known for his the sci- scientific <laughs> well, well, robustness. I guess because they filter fish, they must be able to filter gold. He, he also wrote that, you know, hoopoes, the birds with the big crests, he thought mm. that they fed on blood and could regenerate themselves by <laughs> drinking blood from each other's faces or something. So yeah, he wasn't known for his factual ac- accuracy in an awful mm. lot of this. But anyway, mm. this was his opinions on pelicans. And he wrote this down in the Natural History um, and so it was after his death, it was kind of second century kind of Roman Empire times, mm. the start, you start to get these records of very well-to-do families would keep pelicans kind of in the sort of household menagerie along with like mm. um, peacocks and pheasants and all these kind of other exotic birds. Mm. But they would feed them with the waste material from pan and gold. So when you pan gold and, and you get the odd nugget here and silt. there, obviously. So they would feed silt and dirt. Well, no, they wouldn't just give <laughs> silt <laughs> Open to the wide. pelican. Just pour a poor load of silt down your throat. Fill their pouch with silt. The <laughs> pelican immediately dies. No, um, the, the, when you sort of pan for gold, you get the nuggets of gold mm. that you can sort of pick out with your fingers. But you're left with a lot of smaller kind of tiny particles that you kind of have to either waste mm. or spend hours and hours and hours sort of picking out sort of like sand sized pieces of gold mm. um and so this idea was that they would collect this silt up uh, they'd put it inside dead fish uh feed it to the pelicans the pelicans somehow using their magic <laughs> pouch ability <Somehow. laughs> that, that uh, Pliny the elder wrote about the magic power pouch mm. um would somehow make the separate the gold from the rubbish mm. and this obviously made the pelicans incredibly valuable to these roman <clears throat> households but one step further how do you get the gold back out of the pelican well, I assume you would have to sift through its leavings. Yes, and this is what they used to do. The uh, Romans used to take the pelican poop, uh, mix it with sort of pigments and perfumes and things to make it sort of slightly more palatable. Mm. But they would use it as sort of like a decorative pigment. They used mm. to sort of, um, they would use it in making mosaics. They would, they would paint murals on mm. walls and things. They would use it um, as the base of like, just decorative, like paint and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, but they also had this habit of, um, if they had a gemstone in a bracelet or in a necklace or something, they would paint over the gemstone with this sort of pelican poop pigment uh, because they thought it was so fantastically wealthy. Um, th- so it was kind of like piling they... wealth atop wealth, even though all they were doing was taking a really lovely ruby and covering How it in How long shit. did this continue till they realised they're not actually getting any gold? <laughs> I don't this. know when this... Like, was this decades Pliny was trying? He's like, oh, you know oh, what? Pliny's long what? gone by now. He's looking down laughing at all this. <laughs> what are these days? <laughs> but no, there is, a, there is a record of this happening in the 100s, would you say? The second century uh, AD? The 100s? Yeah, 100s. There, there is a record of, um, yeah, a Roman family just outside Rome keeping two pelicans that they used to do this with. And there are traces of pelican poop pigment sometimes found on uh, gemstones and gold and things okay so this is this is my story that um the romans used to feed fish full of <laughs> silt <laughs> containing gold dust to captive bred pelicans and then mix their shit with pigments i think this is such a lie <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I think there's some kind of kernel of truth about pigments about mm. mosaics and stuff in there mm-hmm. but surely 
you would notice after the first time the pelican didn't produce. Oh, no, it, it wasn't. They weren't expecting a sort of shower of gold to come out the other end of the pelican. It was just that the because of what they thought of the penguin, a penguin, <laughs> because they, they definitely didn't know that penguins existed. Uh, because of what the, what they sort of believed about the pelican, thanks mm. to Pliny and all this sort of folklore that went on at the time, that whatever the pelican produced had to be valuable, valuable. in some oh, sense. Okay. So it wasn't. You know, they weren't sort of sitting there on their hands and knees going, well, this isn't gold. <laughs> it was just whatever it left. Now, if there's it was a job on, for someone. <laughs> if it was on this diet, whatever it left behind was sort of seen as valuable. Okay, and then they would just smear it on stuff. Just, well, they would... Just, they would oh, oh, have you got any more pelican crafts here? I want to smear it on all my jewels. <laughs> to make it more valuable. <laughs> no, it was, it was mixed with uh, crushed petals, um, perfumed oils... <clears throat> Uh, and and pigments to to color it to make mm. obviously you're not just going to wipe bird droppings <laughs> all over the side of your house. Um, <laughs> Says you. <laughs> so yeah, it was it, it's used sort of as a base for for pigments and things. Okay. A very valuable one. Ah, uh, this just seems too ridiculous. This one, like not even the Romans were that bad. I'd like to think. Mm-hmm. Have you read Natural History by Pliny the Elder? Some of it's very very strange. I might read it now, though. It sounds like interesting. He, I have a feeling that when he died on Vesuvius, he was sort of walking towards a vent with a pillow on his head. <laughs> um, and he was overcome by fumes. It's uh, something like that. He wasn't... He was a really interesting character, but um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to take a swing. Okay. This has to be a lie. Okay. It's got to be. Is that what you're saying? Yep. You think I made that up? I do. I made it up. Ah, <laughs> I made every bit of that. No up. one's gonna be smearing pelican crap all It's over a good Jesus. story. It's though. a good story though. I did. It's. It is. It was. It almost had me going for a second. Mm. I think, especially because like the rarity of the pelican and mm. a few bits and pieces. But I think it was just the whole. I actually wrote this story and then thought, "Do you even get pelicans in Europe?" <laughs> That's what I was gonna. You could have said anything. I had to Google it. I have it. no idea where pelicans live. You do. You get them in Turkey apparently, and <clears> in the. Eastern Adriatic. So I just dropped that in. <laughs> so I was like, you literally just thought of a bird. So the fact that you get pelicans in the Adriatic is true. Oh, that's they, all right then. That, that, they were never fed gold. All's forgiven then. <laughs> okay, so the scores are now 3 1 to Anthony, and I think. So, Paul, you have to get the next two yeah, correct the, to even draw a level. The best I can hope for now is a draw, which yeah. is very annoying. Which has put me very at ease now, so I'm very confident going into these last couple of rounds. I'm here. confident I can pull these points back. Nah. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for the my right. final fact? Okay. Did you know that there is an artist in New York? Yeah, you'll get me facts right on that one mm-hmm. first. Do you know there's an artist in New York who is using old coffee cups, uh, cigarette butts, fingernails she finds on the street, and using the DNA in that to then put a sequence into a 3D printer to print the face of the person who smoked that cigarette, who drank from that coffee cup, and she's put it on like an art display in New York. Like 3D printed DNA. And these are eerily accurate, like... Eye colour, hair colour, face shape. Uh... Okay, you're getting me on my knowledge <clears throat> of 3D printing and <laughs> gene sequencing. <laughs> Just two subjects I know an awful lot about. <laughs> they're a good pairing, these two. Okay, see, I don't even know whether it's possible 
to extract someone's... Are we talking gene sequence? It's not gene sequence. It's the DNA. She can use the DNA to say, all right, this guy's got blue eyes. He's got brown hair. He's overweight. He does this. I can say what his ancestry is, the gender. I, I don't even know how whether that's even possible. I don't even know how to interrogate this. Which is why I thought this was a good fact to hit you with, Paul. Okay, so she's walking around the streets. Yes. Picking up other people's detritus. Yes. Taking the DNA of it. Yes. Well, she doesn't just, like, take... <laughs> she has to send it to, to a, a lab. A laboratory, yes. A laboratory. I'm, I'm guessing there's some sort of the science <laughs> involved in this. That's where, I'll admit, I've got a bit of a knowledge gap in the middle. So yeah, from... So... From the picking it up and how to get this into the 3D printer. Now, you're saying that this is eerily accurate. Yes. How... Eye colour, weight... If 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 it's a discarded cigarette butt that she picked up off the street, how does she know what the actual person looks like to prove whether it's accurate or not? Because when they, she sends the, the cup off to the lab, they pull the DNA out, and from any bit of DNA, you can see what someone's eye colour was, um, what their race is, their gender hair colour, everything. It's like, a, ever since the genome was mapped, you can read DNA like this. But how does she know that it's accurate? How, she doesn't know who that cigarette belonged to, presumably. Uh, oh, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, forget the eerie accurate bit. Okay. But the art, she gets the artwork. So going. basically you're saying that you can build a face from this. Yes. Accurate or not. Yes. See, so would it be in the DNA that... You have a big nose, or that you have eyes a certain shape. Is that um, DNA driven? I don't driven? know if it goes that specific, but it can definitely give you uh, facial features. And these like are 3D have... printed, so it's 3D printed. She's it's put a them... sort of model head. Yeah, she's put them up in a gallery. It's a, it's a. It's a bit like the faces on Game of Thrones. It's uh, see, I don't watch Game of Thrones. Oh, pop culture. That's another one. Pop is culture. I hit you with. Is it like the big clear head in the Lionel Richie video? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a pop culture reference that I Hello. know. <laughs> Is it DNA sequencing you're looking for? Wow. Um, okay, so you've you've hit so many potholes in my knowledge here that I have mm. very little to go on. It mm. sounds like it, it sounds bamboozling enough to be true. Mm. It certainly sounds madcap enough to be a New York artist's mm. trick. <sighs> I hate this game. <laughs> It's only because you're losing. You know, I, 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 because I can't analyse this at all, I'm just going to take a punt. And I'm going to say that this is completely true. It is. Yes! Ah, oh, nuts. How disgusting is that? It is. Um, apparently, she's not allowed to do it in the UK because the Human Tissue Act 2004 prohibits private individuals from covertly collecting biological samples. Wow. So she's not allowed to bring it over here. Well, right? I'll have to get rid of my fingernail clipping collection. <laughs> before the feds come round. <laughs> well, what a disgusting fact. It is. It is. But, I, but I've pulled a point back, so I'm happy. Uh, whatever floats your boat, I suppose. Yeah, true. Okay, so it all rests on this last one. Okay. Okay, so it's 3-2 to mm-hmm. you now. The best I can hope for is still a draw. Yeah. Uh, okay, so last fact. Mm. I'm going to play into my hands here. I'm going with language. Ooh, saving the big guns to last, yeah. isn't he? Okay, so um, as you might be aware, because I know that you know 
some bits and pieces about language and things,、mm. and, and you love a bit of trivia. There are some languages that do without words that other languages might think are imperative.、Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So、um, there are Aboriginal languages in Australia、mm-hmm. that don't use left and right;、mm-hmm. they use、um, compass directions instead,、ah. and things like that. But there is one language that we know about that has no concept of numbers,、mm. uh, not individual numbers at all. Um, and this is a language called Piraha.、Okay. This, is, this has got haggard hogs written、yeah. all over it.、Um, now this is this is spoken in the Amazon basin、mm-hmm. um, by a small a group of people. I'm, I, take, take I, my knowledge of Amazonian language groups isn't as robust as it、mm. should be, but I'm guessing that this is probably a family of languages, and that there are various cliques of people who speak this.、Mm. Um, but at least one of the forms of this language has no concept of Number at all, so you can't count to ten, for instance, in、mm. this language. Instead, they have two words which are almost identical.、Mm. One of them is "hoi,"、mm-hmm. which has a long "o," which means basically means one or very few, and the other is "huai," <laughs> which has a long "i" at、oh, the end of it. Why are you lying to people? <laughs> <laughs> which means、uh, basically means more than one or lots,、mm. um, and that's it. That's all that they use. Okay.、Um, for any larger quantities than that, they have to describe them in、um, with using phrases essentially. So one of the one of the phrases that they use, which I don't have a transliteration of, and probably my Pirahai pronunciation, <laughs> yeah, isn't great. But、um, yeah, you didn't of, do GCSE Pirahai. No,、um, I went with French instead.、Uh, one of the phrases that they use for large amounts of things literally means to to come together. So it's sort of like they're talking about an assembly of things. So you, they can't say that there's twenty-two of them,、um, but、mm. they can just say that there's generally lots of them. Hmm. Okay. Got a few questions on this one then.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so, where in the Amazon basin is this spoken? Like, how many people speak it today? I'm guessing. Like, like I say, I don't. I don't have a lot of details on this. It's、mm-hmm. uh, an Amazonian language. I know that it's probably part of a, a larger language family, the Pirahai.、Mm. Language,、um, and my guess is that it's probably a very small.、Uh, so, do you know, like, what if it's which tribe speak this? It'll、uh, be the Pirahai people. The Pirahai, okay.、Um, where are they based?、Um, which part of the Amazon in Brazilian? Amazon? The basin.、Yeah. The basin. <laughs> Just wow, that's. <laughs> I have I have it down as the Amazon basin. Right, which is I don't know how many thousands of square miles. It's that quite might be. large. I mean, it's larger than Newcastle, so、mm. it must be quite big. <laughs> okay, we've, we've narrowed this down to an area larger than Newcastle,、yeah. where people have no concept of numbers. Yeah, they think it's the well. Linguists think it's probably the only language in the world that has no no concept of individual numbers. So how no does that counting? How does that work? Say, if we're going out hunting, we need、mm. to get feed the tribe. We need five boars, five pigs. How how would they? They would just say more than one. But what? How does he know how many to bring back? What he brings back? They have no concept of numbers. How do they survive without a concept of numbers? Now, this is this is one of the problems that that comes up from discussing languages like this.、Mm. Is that that's a very English speaker's idea、uh, of, of things? Okay. There are languages that that do without all kinds of words. It's、mm. it's like、um, I, th- I think Welsh doesn't have a, a name for the color blue. I don't think Russian does either. Hmm. English had no word for orange until about the 1500s when we when we started eating oranges. Now I remember that it's a haggard hoax fact. It is, yeah. It is so、mm-hmm, okay. So it's it's、um, the <clears throat> English speaker looking at other languages, going, "How strange." 
So do you know when this language, the tribe, was discovered? Who discovered them? I, I don't who, know about who the recorded it. I don't know about the anthropology of this. Uh, it's it's just a language that we have on the record books. Okay. But it's it's part of this sort of family of languages that do without words that we think would be mm. imperative. I'm starting to think. You're speaking really comfortably about this, mm -hmm. as if you've got an authority behind it, mm -hmm. and which Mass starts to kind of get my mind thinking he's telling the truth, because, yeah. oh, he loves talking about words, he's, you can hear the passion in his voice, yeah. he's quite enjoying himself, he's not trying to lie here. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the name of the tribe again? Piraha. Piraha. Name of the language? Piraha it's just language, the Piraha too. language. And what was and the name for one or very few? It was Hoi, with a long O. Mm. And Hawaii, with a long I, is mm. more than one. Do you lots. know any other words of Pirahai? No, I don't. Okay. Right. H-O-I. Okay. I think I'm ready for a guess on this one. Okay. I think this is completely true. You know this is for the match. It is. You're saying that this is true. Completely true. It's completely true. Yes! <laughs> Beaten on a you language just, fact. Ah, you, you sounded just so... Comfortable in how you describe. I was trying this. to be so guarded about the details. I know that's what I was thinking. Like he's no, he's not giving us a lot of information. No, yeah. it's completely true. Yeah, but the information you are giving us, yeah, so comfortable. There's like, no, there is no concept of number in the Piraha language. Ah. And so we finish the very first episode of Yes or BS. Four two. I four lost. Four two. Absolutely smashed you, Paul. <sighs> next week's going to be a, a six nil victory. I think. I've got to pull it back next time. Aye. More facts about the Duke of Marlborough, and I'll be I'll be home. And try not to enjoy yourself and sound so knowledgeable on word facts. I'm keeping well away from language for the next one. I'm going <laughs> to. I might try language on you next time. Actually, I don't know. See if I can try and. This could be the end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> I have a career. <laughs> that, was, that was the joke I was trying to shout out. <laughs> I was like, you have a career. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, hope you tune in next time for the next episode of Yes or BS. Yes.